Matthew chapter 10. Go ahead and get there. We're going to start today at verse 21. We'll go back up a few verses just for reference. Look at verse 17. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought. Let's try it again. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death. Father is child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will hated, be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Now when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant like his master. Now if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, don't fear them. There is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. And whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them yet falls to the ground, or say, end not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Pray with me, would you please? Lord, I know you have a message for each of us today here. You have something, Lord, for each of us that have come today that we would hear you and know you and love you more. That our hearts would be open that our lives would be brought, Lord, before You. God, we want more than just information. We want transformation. And we really want Your Holy Spirit to reach us. Father, I pray that You would speak words of encouragement, words of life. Lord, words that, so are, so, that are so true and so resonate with the hungers of our souls that today we walk out of here refreshed, bolstered to the greater endurance to run this race with the endurance you've ordained before such a great cloud of witnesses who've endured so much more than we ever will. And that we would not grow weary in well-doing. That we would not ease up on the throttle, compromise, lean back, float. But to run the race, to win it. And God, I pray today that You so strengthen our souls. You so fortify, God, what we want to do here. We find ourselves totally and radically transformed in this world. Bring salvation to this house. In Jesus' name. Well, that's great. I'm afraid you've got to read it just now. I haven't talked about it long yet. I've literally just read it already. Take a moment. Get yourself ready. Right. And I'm going to replace this cheap 
Let's see. How's that? Hey, see, you know, for those of you who are intimidated or put off by organized religion, <laughs> we should be no threat to you. We're about as disorganized. All right. <clears throat> Lord, again, open our hearts and minds to what it is you want to do in this time. Profoundly minister, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please do not just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. No one has the authority that the Word of God possesses. God has given us His true and infallible Word to test all things. That includes me. That includes any bozo in front of a any other bozo in front of a microphone. Any other person claiming to know whatever truth. This beautiful book is here for us to be able to look and go, hmm, that correlates or that don't play. One way or the other, God wants us to be able to be testing all things. Hold on to what is good and avoid any type of evil. So with that, I challenge you to do the same. This is a really difficult text to look at. Not because it's difficult to understand, but to be honest, for the opposite. Because it is easy to understand. It's just hard to swallow. I I remember it uh, it was Mark Twain who had actually said once, that it isn't the things of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do. I want to remind you of our context here in Matthew 10, because it isn't like we want to pull a verse and, and pull, pull flowers out of a hat. What we want to do is make sure that we're getting in its clarity. We call chapter 10, if you will, the Sermon of the Sending, but it's, it's important to recognize that there's really two basic sendings in, in the Gospels. There is this sending Jesus does while he was still there on the way to the cross, and there's the sending he will do after he's resurrected. And they're very, very different. The sending before Jesus is, 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 uh, has died and resurrected, that first sending is one to the people that have already made claim to him, that are calling themselves the people of God. Now understand, during the time that Jesus is walking the earth, God in the flesh walking the earth, the people who called themselves His during that time had turned everything into a lifeless politic. It was a set of rules, but no relationship. And all of those things that we like to say here, because we're kind of cool and hip and savvy, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. Can I say it's about both? I mean, in the sense that we want to worship God in spirit and in truth. Religion, by the way, the simplest definition for the word is devotion. And I would really hope you are religious. And, you know, in this particular country, when someone asks, are you religious? I think it'd be wise to say, well, yes, I am. But I want to be devoted to Jesus because everyone's devoted to something. So please understand something here. When Jesus is walking, people are already thrust into and immersed into this politic where you've got to do good stuff to make God happy. Is really, I mean, if we're going to put it simple. And to be honest, that's a lot of the cultures we're familiar with. Some of you may have been raised in sort of a pseudo-religious culture where everything is kind of, you know, do good stuff and God will smile on you. And the weird part about that is if that's where you start this whole thing, we understand it's so easy to, to, to lose the whole concept of grace, which is what separates Jesus from everything else. Grace says, you don't deserve it, I don't deserve it, but he gave it to us anyways. Grace is completely reliant on the kindness of the giver, not on the deservedness of the recipient. The moment you deserve it, it's no longer grace. And the problem is if you're working for God, then you're supposed to have a a paycheck to be cast. But you know what happens inevitably? You do really good things, and then you don't have a great day and you're angry at God. 
You're like, what? Look, I was nice today. I even gave some money to a poor person. Or I was this and I, I did all this really nice stuff. Why in the world was this the day I spilled something on my trousers? Right? Why was this the day that the car drove by after the rain and splashed me? Why was this the day I missed my bus? You don't realize how good I've been. As if somehow you've told God, God, look at how good I've been. Give it to me now. But please understand something. That if that's the way all of our relationships are, could you imagine how lame that would be? Think about it for those of you who are in love. Where if all of your relationship consisted of was you doing nice things or them doing nice things for you so you could say that you're pleased with them. That kind of sounds really kind of weird, doesn't it? And you know what's weird? Is if we really kind of play that out, there are people who try to look from the outside because that's often what we send out to people. And when they look at that, they kind of think God's kind of on this power trip. Don't they? Has anyone ever thrown that at you? And the reason is because that's almost what they see portrayed, or that is what they see portrayed. And they're like, well, I just got to keep God happy, so I'm going to go to church again, and I'm going to pray some more, and I'm going to memorize a verse. Because if I memorize a verse, this is going to be a great day in God. As if God's like, well done, Abraham. I gave you that name for a purpose. You know, I mean, really? But understand, this is what Jesus is stepping into. So understand, the problem is, in all of this, the message sent to those people... In the Sermon of Ascending, in chapter 10, was not, hey, Jesus died and rose again because he hadn't died yet. Therefore, hadn't risen again. So how do we tell them that? As a matter of fact, every time Jesus tries to sit down with his guys and tell them that, they don't get it. They blow a fuse. You know, they're like, hey, by the way, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be, and he's staring at the guys, including the one who's going to betray him. I'm going to be betrayed and I'm going to be handed off. And then as I'm going to be handed off, I'm going to be spat upon and I'm going to be mocked. And I'm going to be tortured to death and they're going to rip skin off my back and they're going to nail me to a cross. But don't worry, guys, because in the end of it, I'll raise again on the third day, just like Scripture promised. And they look and they go, um, we were talking, which one of us is going to be the greatest? And you kind of get the idea that clearly they must not be listening to what he's saying. Because no person in their right mind would say such a thing after you say, well, I'm about to be tortured to death. Okay, can I have your CDs, please? I mean, really? I mean, and so please get this. That the message of the cross, Jesus is trying to get to them, but they're not getting it, and they're students. So what Jesus we have in chapter 10 is that from a large pool of potential disciples, he takes from that, after a night full of prayer, Twelve guys to be his ambassadors, his emissaries, his apostles, which just means apo out of, stelas means to send. The guy sent out. Sent out on a mission. And his mission, again, was to those who claimed God. And his message was a simple one. Jesus is coming. That's it. I want to send you to all of these places. I send you with sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, I'm not sending you to the wolves. I'm not sending you to where the wolves are. I am sending you in the midst of them. I already know the situation, and you know the situation too. You are helpless without me. The good news is I'm coming with you. You're good. But you need to know, you need to be then, and remember we talked about being wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and what that meant. And Jesus is sending on, he's like, look, at here's the simple message that starts this way. Go to those who say they're mine and tell them I'm coming. That's the message of Matthew 10. That's the way God wants to start a revival. You can't start a revival someplace where they've never been vibed. Which, by the way, means alive. You can't bring something back to life that's never been alive. 
It isn't like Frankenstein when he first came up and said, Oh, you're alive again! Because we know he wasn't in the first place. And we're praying for revival. God, revive! Well, it's got to be the church because we're the only ones that are alive in the morgue. And so please understand something here. When we're saying, God, please start something, I think it starts the same way. Where Jesus is saying, listen, go to those who make a claim to me and tell them, I'm coming. And because I'm coming, the kingdom is within your grasp. Let us turn our hearts and our minds back to this because we're so entrenched right now in the world that we don't even realize how important it is to get right with this. And so that has been his message. And he warns you, on the end of that, I want to warn you, but beware of men. Because they are not going to take this message well. And I remind you, the men he's talking about at this point are people, if you'll pardon me for putting it in our contemporary context, it would be people who go to church. He's like, I want to warn you, just because you step into church doesn't mean everyone's going to go, wow, that was so what I needed to hear. Well, let's be honest, sometimes even what we need to hear, we don't want to hear. You know, those of you who have been younger and someone said, you know, let me just say, can I just say this plainly? She just ain't into you. You may need to hear that at that time, but you didn't want to hear that. Sometimes the truth, well, always the truth we need to hear, sometimes we just really don't want to. Is I'm going to warn you, I'm going to send you to a group of people, and I want to warn you, even in the midst, I remind you, in the midst of wolves, I'm going to send you to a group of people who already, well, they've become addicted to being lazy. And Jesus will talk about that more in Matthew 24 when he talks about those that aren't wise, that aren't watchful, that really aren't interested, but instead they start to eat and drink with those that are mockers against the very thing that they stand against. And all of a sudden you look and you're going, yeah, and they start beating the servants of God. And they go, this is what you start to see. And all of a sudden, how do you tell a bunch of, it's it's like this. All of a sudden you woke up one day and you said, I'm going to get healthy. You know, I'm in my middle ages now or whatever, whatever that means. I personally plan to live to 200, so I'm not going to hit my middle ages for quite a while. Now, all of that said, you all of a sudden you wake up and you want to be healthy. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be healthy. And But all your friends are fat and lazy. So they're all on the couch and they're there. And the only thing they've been doing for the last six years is this with the remote, right? And this is exercise, right? They're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Look at what's happening on the screen. I'm like, ah, that looks like exercise that's virtual exercise, so you can get virtually healthy, but you'll literally die. So this is good. You've got a good, strong thumb. And then you tell them, come on, guys, let's get up and let's do something. Have you ever heard of the outer net? And they're like, shut up. What are you talking about, right? You know? And they're like, I don't want to have to get up. I don't want to have to do something. And you know it's going to be met with resistance because none of them are interested in getting up because they've learned how they have their place they've really permanently embedded into the couch. And if they leave, the couch is going to cry. People go, I miss you already. I mean, do you think about it? And the reason I say that is, Jesus, I want to warn you, you're going to go to a bunch of spiritually lazy people and say, come on! What's going on with you? Jesus is coming. And this isn't like Jesus is coming, look busy. This isn't like Jesus is coming, get your house in order. This is like, look it. If you love him, this should be great news. If all you're doing is trapped in the politic, it's a uh-oh. But if you're in like, I love him, this is the best news. And what you do at that moment, it kind of slaps you and you're like, wait a minute. What side of this am I on? Am I on the do good stuff to get a good payout of it? Well, in that case, him coming, well, it's like, I better do more good stuff. On the other side of it, well, if I really am in love with this guy and I really want to have a great relationship, well, then that's another story. 
So please hear me on this. We are in our text now, and that's because very lengthy getting us into it. But now Jesus is starting to warn us that this is really going to hurt. Here's the problem. Is that when Jesus says this, there's a statement in the middle of this. You know, it's like the middle of a sandwich is really what you, what's the important part of the sandwich. No, no, unless you're kind of one of those people that everything's kind of hippie-ish. But, but normally it's kind of like, I'll have a blank sandwich. That's what's in the middle. The reason I said that the middle is what defines it. And in the middle of this, what we have is this statement, and he who endures to the end will be saved. And he who endures to the end will be saved tells us there's a problem here. And that is a problem that there are going to be those who don't endure to the end. And not enduring to the end is the key of this. Now, understand, the Greek word for endure is the word upomene. Upo means under. Mene means to stand or remain. What he tells us is there's going to be some things here. And somewhere down that these things are going to get to this place where you're going to go, what's the use of this? Get me out of here. I can't get under this any longer. And here's the problem. That doesn't mean that they weren't excited when they started. That doesn't mean that there wasn't some kind of great vim and vigor when we started this whole thing. But somewhere down the line when the dust clears and you turn around, some of the people you love the most are gone. And that really, really hurts. Because these are people you had a greater bond with than just that. So, so please hear me on this as we start this. Because what he's going to do is he's going to start working those things. Susan, would you just close that door back there? Because that's where all the cold comes from. Thank you. It's ironic when we open that door, but then warm. Anyways, okay. So please hear me on this. What he's going to do is he's going to roll out a few things here that really, to be honest, are the thing. Well, let me say it this way. It's like if we were all going to a war and we were all soldiers. There's some certain things we, were real, we would be very clear and evident on. One is, we better be tight about this thing. We better be in shape and we better be alert. Because if we're, if we're not going to be alert, we're going to get killed. We also look and realize, we also, the people around us need to be alert. Because we all have blind sides. And it's really important to have people around you that are going to be able to see what you don't. Hey, the real friends are those that cover your blind sides, not those that applaud the stuff you do well. They're the ones that are like, hey, bullets are flying, let's get ducking. Incoming. But when you look around and you realize you're going into the heat of battle, especially when you're going to take ground and you're not just going to hold your ground, which is what Jesus always intended for us. And I mean that, of course, by the gospel, not by swords and weapons. You know what the scary thing is? You kind of know somewhere down the line you may not come back with everybody you went out with. I was raised in the south side of Chicago. And it was really, really common for people to die. It was really common for people to die in really bad ways. And people would unite to defend themselves. And people were careful who they united themselves with because they knew that if they united themselves with the wrong group that wasn't strong enough, that wasn't right enough, that wasn't powerful enough, they were probably the ones that weren't going to come back. And the Bible makes really clear we're in a battle. 
what's ironic is, is we want to blame everything on, you know, it's like we're not preparing. We're not seeking to be tight with our commander. We're not seeking, but somehow in it we feel like, hey, 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 why is somebody shooting at me? Why are things kind of rough? Why is something coming at me? But we're not doing anything to prepare not only ourselves, but to be part of our troop. So we're lone rangers out there wondering why we're kind of targets because we're the easiest to hit. I can tell you, I've been in ministry now for over a quarter of a, of a century. That's a scary thought. And I've watched guys that I thought were superheroes of the faith. I could have probably put pastors to Avengers that I think of in the past, including the Hulk, that are no longer pastors, some of which aren't even claiming Christ. And that hurts really bad. Because these are guys that I marched the line with. That we would cry and prayer over people that we cared about. And you go, what took them down? What was it that hit them so hard that they never made it back? Understand, Jesus, as our commanding officer, is telling his troop as he sends them out what they should be looking out for so that they all come back. Because he doesn't want you going out there and not coming back. Listen. First thing he says, verse 21. Brother will deliver up brother to death. Father is child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Once I find Christ, the deeper bond becomes evident, an eternal bond. You see, I'm not always going to have the same mother, the same father, eternally, wife, children. All that stuff's here and that's it. But I will have you as my brother and sister, if you know Jesus, for eternity. Now, that maybe that's frightening to you if you know me. The good news is when I see Jesus, I'll be like him, so you won't have to deal with it. All that stuff gets laid down. But when that bond becomes deep like that, I start to realize some things. The only eternal state I'm going to have is a child of my Heavenly Father and the beloved of Jesus. Brothers of you. A brother of you. But that doesn't make it hurt any less because there are people that we are born wanting to be proud of us. We want our fathers and mothers to be proud of us. We want them to look at us with a look of of quality, of satisfaction. Say, well done. So what happens when you take that whole thing and your mother or your father then turns to you or turns to someone else and doesn't just hand you over, but hand you over to death, knowing in such fear such fear of an arresting party because being a Christian in the perspective that, that this is being written, that Jesus is speaking, he knows that things are going to happen in such a way that you'll die for your faith. And if you're going to die for your faith, people will choose themselves over you, even if it's your mother and father, brother or sister. And can I say the first word that I'll play out here is the word betrayal. One thing, one bullet that hits hard is the bullet of betrayal. Now, this doesn't mean this person has to claim Christ. This doesn't mean this person has to be religious at all. At least the way we would define religion. 
It could be just your brother or sister, but it's nonetheless being betrayed by them. And here's the worst part is you kind of know the only reason you're being betrayed is because of this Jesus guy. Let's be honest. I mean, if you're really not going to follow Jesus, this really isn't going to happen. But there's a hurt when you look at somebody and they look at you and they're kind of like, you know, in the end of it all, i got to choose me over you. And we think that the only selfless bonds that are there are a father to his children or a child to his to his parents, to her parents. Notice he doesn't even say husband and wife in this. It's like there should be, there's a selflessness that you see here that doesn't, but, but only goes so far. And if I don't embrace Jesus like I need to embrace Jesus, when this happens, I'm not going to make it back. And I don't want you to be that person. I do not want you to be that person when your mom starts freaking out on you or your dad starts freaking out on you. Hey, listen, let me tell you what it says in Psalm 27.10. It says, when my, father or my, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Now, I'm not telling you, if you have a good relationship with your mom, try to get a bad one. <laughs> Some of you are naturally good at having bad relationships with people. Or whatever, getting antagonistic with your parents or whatever. But I'm here to tell you, listen, it cannot be the governing element. Because once you embrace Jesus, that bond overrides every other. And that's hard. How do you explain it? I know parents that were that gave their kids heroin at six and seven. You know, they've been drinking whatever, smoking pot since the kid was able to write barely and all of that. And then they get saved and they come at me and they want me dead because I brainwashed their kid. You know, my kid was fine before. What? When he was, when he was like impregnating people and he was stoned and running around and driving and running over people? How exactly is that good? That's easier for me to say. Because it wasn't my dad. It wasn't my mom. But Jesus is like, I want to warn you. Yeah, it does hurt. But don't let this take you down. Because when you left all to follow me, you left all to follow me. You let me... But let's face it, when I was a kid, when you're a kid, our parents basically give us our identity and we start to grow and to figure out who in the world we are outside of that. So what happens when they're removed in a case like this and they stand against you? You better have your identity in Christ, beloved, or you're going down. Then it says in verse 22, just to make things even more fun, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Notice he doesn't just say you'll be hated by all because you're irritating or you're hated by all because you're happy, but for my name's sake. And the church knows this today as well. Now this is how I know that. Because when you talk to people, you can talk to them even about Christian-ish things, but you bring up the name of Jesus, you even make Christians squirm out in public. You listen to me like, oh, I'm just so happy about all the things I have. You know, it's like somehow that word gets like dropped out of the volume with everything else. Because we know the moment we can say, God bless you on a lift when somebody sneezes. But you bring in the word Jesus and all things. I love to say, hey, Jesus bless you. And then they don't even know what to do with me. I just want you to know what God I'm speaking about. Then I want to bless you. Because you're going to be hated by all. So let me say the first word is betrayal, but the second bullet, if you dodge the bullet of betrayal, you may just very well get nailed with the bullet of rejection. And that's the second one here. Let 
They were rejected by everybody. Notice Jesus didn't say, they, well, you'll be, even most people will have a problem with you. And it isn't like most people will dislike you. Let's go to the ultimate on this. They're going to hate you, and that's all, people. There isn't going to be a group. If we don't, as a church, embrace Christ, we should be the only group of people that don't hate us. Think that through. I mean, let's face it. Some of us, it's like, okay, I'm going to love you anyways, but out there, they're going to hate you because of His name. Because of the name of Jesus. The name above all names. The only name given among men by men by which we must be saved. The only name. When I say, well, I want to call on any other name. Look at no one else gives grace. Everyone else, you're back to that working and hoping you get a paycheck. But Jesus did all the work for us. There's the difference. Oh, beloved, please hear me on this. It hurts, man. It hurts. Jesus doesn't lie about this. The reason Jesus is warning us about this is because he knows it hurts. Who knows betrayal better than the one who will be betrayed by the kiss of a friend that had been prophesied a thousand years before in Psalm 49 when he said, even my own familiar friend whom I broke bread with lifted his heel against me. Jesus knew it was coming. He even knew it was going to betray him from the beginning, but he didn't treat him any differently. And I know that because when he said, one of you will betray me, no one said Judas, right? <coughs> Let's be honest. I probably would have thought it was Peter. I mean, he was the one Jesus said, get behind me, Satan too. I just think, wait a minute, am I, am I really in that place where I'm ready, not just willing, but ready to be hated for the name of Jesus? Listen, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul's speaking about this similar situation. He says, listen, verse 10. Wait. Still really want to be a man pleaser? If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Because one thing Paul understood is if I'm going to serve Christ, I'm not going to please men the same way. And I can't do both. But I want you to realize something. Even though I can't please men, I have the only God, good news is the only one, but I have the only God that can be blessed. Twenty different times in Scripture we read, bless the Lord. Do you get that? Find that in another book. A happy, blessed pleased God that so lovingly enjoys and embraces his own? Not an angry, vindictive one you do stuff to keep him away, but one you celebrate because he's near? Do you realize the difference between us and everyone else? We have a God who actually wants us. Not tolerates us or is contractually obligated, but genuinely wants us and proves it. Jesus said this, by the way. By the, by the time we get to Matthew 24, he'll tell us you'll be hated, by the way, by all nations, by namesake. Jesus tells us in Luke 19, I believe it's about verse 14, he gives us a parable and he says, and he actually draws some history here. He says, you know, there was a certain nobleman, he went to get a city, but the people there would not have him. They hated him, is what he said. And they said, we will not let this man rule over us. Now understand, when Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., he had a bunch, I mean, and Herod was, he was a bit of a paranoid guy. I mean, he wasn't Herod the Great because he was great looking or because he was great in his stature. He was kind of a little round guy that was paranoid. Kind of, if those of you can think of like a Danny DeVito kind of character, but Jewish, that's kind of the idea here. And, <clears throat> and kind, of, kind of that, kind of, but so he was so paranoid that anybody that seemed to be a threat to him, he killed, which included all of his able-bodied, brilliant sons. So what that meant is, if you, I mean, would you rather have, been killed or rather lived through it? 
<laughs> I made it. I mean, think that through. What you have is you have the brilliant ones that get killed because he's, they're a threat, and then they look and you go, well, you're no threat. You can live. I mean, which one do you want to be? So when Herod died, all of the territory that he, that he actually sort of was magistrate over, well, ultimately what had to happen is, is that it had to be divvied out to a bunch of his kids because no one was smart enough or able-bodied enough. But Herod the Great was nasty as a character. And the area of Judea, part of the area that Herod the Great ruled over, was bequeathed then to his son Archelaus. And Archelaus, by the way, didn't get his dad's brilliance, but he got his dad's nastiness. And he was a punk. And therefore, when he went to actually receive the area from his father, in that point deceased, the people rose up and actually petitioned Rome and said, please don't let this guy rule over us. It's important, though, Jesus pointed out that they hated him. Why is that important? Because by the time Jesus gets to the Gospel of John about it, he says, look, if they hated you, they'll hate you because they hate me first. And the reason they're going to hate you is you're not of this world anymore. You are no longer a citizen of this earth. You actually belong to me now. Your citizenship's in heaven, and they don't get that. And it's imperative, though, the real telling point is when they said, we will not have this man rule over us. You know why people hate Jesus? Because they know that if they're going to say yes to him, it's actually, I think the world knows it better than we do sometimes. He's got to actually be Lord and not just Savior. And they're like, I don't want anyone to rule over me. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I've worked this hard to be independent and do it my own way. How in the world am I supposed to submit to this guy I can't even see? And we hate that and understand Jesus knows that. And then he looks at you and it's like, you're the one who's going, hey, come on, let's all submit to this guy we can't see. So Jesus says, listen, you're going to be hated. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. John 15, 18. And it says, listen, when Jesus is praying in John 15, 24, he says, look, they have seen and also hated both me and my father. He's speaking now to his disciples. This has happened that it might be fulfilled, which was written in the law. And ultimately in Psalm 69:4, when it says they hated me without a cause. I didn't give them any reason to hate me. I've done nothing to make them hate me. They hated me anyways. A thousand years prior was so written. It says in John 17:14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I'm not of this world. But here's the good news. Even though you will be so hated by the world, even though you'll be so betrayed by blood bond, he who endures to the end will be saved. It's important to recognize, we talked about the word endure, but please hear me in the word saved. The word saved, sozo, means so much more than just rescued. It also means made whole. It also means complete. Can I just dare say it this way? If you do get shot, by betrayal. By these very things that Jesus is experiencing, by rejection. It is not the time to leave the camp. It is actually the time to stay in the camp. Because staying in the camp is where healing takes place. So you get sent to the machine. Hey, look, at I don't know what's happened with you. And I don't know where you've been hurt and by whom. I don't know who's rejected you, who's betrayed you who it's literal and who you may have played it out in your own head. But I can tell you this. He was planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of our God. And there's healing in Christ. Going and hiding out in a corner somewhere and being angry and bitter is like playing with your wound. It only makes it worse. And Jesus says, you've got to stay. 
And I remind you, he's sending guys to people who are making claim to God. He's going, guys, you really need to stick it out with me. Trust me, this is going to work out. If I remain under him, there will be rescue. There will be wholeness. There will be healing. Verse 23 says, then when, notice it doesn't just say, and here's the third thing. This is not just if they, but when they persecute you. And did you notice where Jesus says it? Look at verse 23. Where does persecution start as far as where he's sending them? According to verse 23. You tell me. What's that? This city, right where they're at. Did you notice that? And it wasn't like, I'm going to send you out and when you get there, they're going to have some problems with you. He's like, they already have problems with you the moment before I even send you. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy and he says, listen, whoever desires to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. It doesn't say whoever accomplishes living godly in Christ. Who's ever gotten to the point where they're really living godly in Christ, they'll be persecuted. He actually says, whoever he just wants to. By the point you want to, that's when it starts. Because the enemy, I think, recognizes the threat more than you do. The moment you're going to get off that spiritual couch and actually start doing something, the enemy knows the best thing he can do is to try to keep you on that couch at any cost. And it is amazing. Some single guy, some single girl, decides I'm really going to start charging for Jesus. And it's at that moment the girl that he's like that isn't saved or the guy that, that, that she likes that isn't saved calls her and says, I just want you to know I got your number and I think you're really, really cute and I just want to spend my rest of my life with you building on you and making you good. And I own an island. Let's fly there. It's amazing how those things start happening. People start looking going, you believe what? And people you thought were tolerant become extremely intolerant of your view. What tolerant most of the time means is you better tolerate what I think. That's all it really means. I don't have to tolerate yours. So let me give you a little bit of good news. And for the sake of time, I just want to point out two things. And we'll develop the rest anyways because it takes the theme that goes beyond this. Jesus does say here again, I remind you, to the group he's sending to the people of the day, I say to you, when you flee, by the way, don't go looking for trouble and don't stay when there is. People want to get in your face, well then go somewhere else. But I say to you, you will have not gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This isn't a prophecy about his second coming. <coughs> I remind you, Jesus is sending him saying, I am coming, and that I'm going to come. He's sending them to villages he's about to visit. But can I say that's a precedent set for us as well. This church is not going to be done telling the world, telling the people of God that Jesus is coming before he does come. That's the idea he wants to set here as precedent. But he says this. The third of those three things, by the way, is resistance. We just get tired of fighting. When I look at the betrayal because somebody that I thought would be totally selfless, but they turn out to be much more human. And I realize this is all because of Jesus. And I think, ouch, this really hurts. When I feel the rejection of people that I thought were tolerant and decent, but now I'm the butt of all their jokes. Because somewhere in all of this, I actually do uphold the name of Jesus. And if I feel like somehow I've still stayed out in the battlefield, sometimes you just get tired of fighting. You know, it's like, remember when somebody said something and you stood up the first time and go, hey, 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 to your friends. I'm not talking about to strangers. Well, some of you, you'd be the kind that would approach strangers too. But at least to friends. And like, excuse me, for what it's worth, could you please not mention the name of Jesus like that around me, please? Because it kind of, it offends me. I love this person. I don't talk about your mom that way. Remember when you were like that, some of you? And then somewhere you just got tired of telling people that? You got tired of being offended by those things? You got tired of towing the line because, 
really in the end of it all, you just realize, you just feel like it's, the, it's a constant fight here. Do you know why it's a constant fight here? It's just not your home. And it never will be. This is your hotel room. And like it or not, you don't know when and I don't know when, but we're checking out soon. And when we do check out, it's not time to miss the hotel. And if all the investment we've ever done is on the hotel room, and we've not sent anything forward, we've not spent time with the one to whom our home belongs, all we're going to want is the hotel room. We're going to be like, no, don't let me check out now. Give me one more day. And you, those of you who have been on holiday, you know what that's like. Most of you are aware of the fact that we went to Sardinia for a week. I don't always look like this. I'd like to always look like this. And I was ready, man, for sun. I was, I'm told two things, sun and surf. And I'm thinking, yeah, this would be good. My family gets up late. I could get some morning surfing in. I'll get some sun. First two days, it rained. And the next two days, it was windy. They called it a windstorm. Then it got a bit sunny. But by that point, I didn't have a romantic connection with the place we were. I did because of one thing, and that was that every morning I got a date with Jesus. That was the benefit of my family getting up a little later, of me getting that time. But the good news is, I get dates with Jesus here. So it wasn't like when we were flying away, I was like, no, please. I was just really happy to know that the one thing that made it great was the one thing I get to be with. Well, two things. The other is my family. Please hear me on this. If you've ever fought competitively, ever been in a sport competitively, you know how important training is. And I would rather lose a game but do my best than win and feel like I just futzed through the whole game. Because in the end of it all, I just want to know I laid it on the field. Because you can't go back and fix it once the game's over anyways. If the worst thing is when you lose and you didn't give your all. Because you spend the rest of your life, if you're the kind, thinking, if I did, would we have won this? Could we have won this game if that were the case? So what happens when you have someone you love that doesn't know Jesus and they're watching you? And you're kind of living this mamby-pamby, this hotel room is my life kind of lifestyle. And then one day you stand before them and you don't know if they've ever said yes to Jesus. Can you imagine what that feels like? Going, man, what if I had really lived for Christ? What would have happened? So hear me as we bring this to close for a minute. Excuse me. There's this text here, and I really want to develop it, and I'll do it next week. But please hear me, because at the end of it all, there's one thing that that kind of links this whole thing together. It's the chain that holds this thing onto our necks. He'll talk about what it's like to be a, a disciple and how important that is to be like Jesus. And here's the good news. If they have a problem with him and they have a problem with you, it's pretty likely because they actually see Jesus in you. And Jesus says, hey, look at the truest ambition of a student is to become like his teacher. Is that my ambition to really be like Jesus? Because if it's not my ambition to be like Jesus, but just to be awesome, 
then I'm going to have a real problem with this. But at the end of this text that we were looking at, I want you to realize, and we'll develop again this part in between, but I, I just want you to realize it's not just betrayed by family, hated by all, but it's loved by God. What he points out at the end of this, he goes, do you realize something here? I mean, it's interesting because it almost, you know, unless we understand kind of the ethos that Jesus has given us, it's like chasing a jackrabbit. Have you ever talked to people and it's like verbal parkour? It's like, you know, you don't even know what the next statement is and whether it relates at all. Well, understand Jesus has got a very clear train of thought. And when he's bringing us, he's like, look, at, let's talk about sparrows for a second. What's, when, when you think of a sparrow, now understand for them, that's like the most meaningless, like, you know, like cheap thing you can get. Now, I don't know. So let me do this for just a second. What's the cheapest thing you can think of? When you think cheap, I think it's the cheapest thing you can think of. Just blurt it out, just for fun. What's that? What? Penny sweets. Well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Penny sweets. Anything else? You're cheap. Now, some of you are being trying to be careful because you're thinking, am I betraying my country? Am I betraying my... Yeah. But, but I mean, like, you know, things made in this country or whatever, you know, Primark or whatever. I mean, you know... Now, if you work there, then I'm going to get in trouble. But, but please hear me in this. It's, you know, it's like when you think of things that are like really not worth anything. Like, you know, you buy it, maybe you use it a little bit, then you throw it away. And you don't feel anything you could throw away and not feel even remotely any sense of separation from. You know, for doing so, it's probably pretty cheap to you. Well, that was kind of the concept of a sparrow. You know, sparrows, by the way, what were they used for? I always kind of wonder, what do people buy sparrows for? I mean, they say, aren't sparrows sold for two pence or two sparrows for a penny? I mean, what do you buy sparrows for? Do you eat them because they were really cheap? In some countries, they do. Well, what's interesting is, is that the one thing that stands out about sparrows more than anything else, and I don't know if you've ever watched them, is how terrible they are at landing. They really are like beach balls landing. It's like they have no landing gear. Have you ever watched them? They literally bottom out and their feet just start going, you know, and then like, and it's really, really important because listen to this text. And this is what I want you to end with with me to this time. Listen, it says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Not one of them falls to the ground apart from my father's will. Now, understand, I, I remember first reading this and I kind of think it would be like a sparrow was there and all of a sudden it just died, fell out of the tree. And God says, that was my will. I took note of that. But the word here, understand, for fall is the word pito. And the word pito literally means to a land, to land, to a light. It actually comes from a word that is akin to the word fly. So understand, this isn't like you're going, every time a sparrow dies, God makes sure that he makes a note of it and puts it in the little bird obituary. What he's saying here is every time the bird is trying to land, every time it bounces, God takes special note of it. And what that tells me is my God is extremely detail-oriented. This isn't a God that's kind of waxing over things and going, oh, let's, this is all going to work out. Don't worry, somehow. Every intricate detail of the most insignificant thing is recorded in the mind of God. And then he looks and he goes, that in your mind may be the least valuable thing. Now let me tell you, in God's currency, what is the highest denomination? You are. You are, and literally what he's saying is the word pulas, you are worth, the word is used for all in many cases. He's like, you're worth all of the sparrows in the universe. And then some. According to scripture, every here he says, here he's numbered. Your hairs, whether you had them, 
whether you still have them, whether they're changing colors or what, whether they're, 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 they're little, whether they're big, whether they're long, whether they're curly, it doesn't matter. He's got every one of them. If we would say today, if he were right today, he might say that every atom on your body has been cataloged by God. Every thought from afar, you're the apple of his eye. Every, his thoughts outnumber the sand on the shore. You understand, you are his masterpiece, according to Philippians. You are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece and you are his obsession. God doesn't say that about sea creatures. He doesn't, I mean, with all due respect, if you're the kind that wants to hug something, please understand, He doesn't say it about any other being or thing in the universe but you. Nothing else in the world. He calls nothing else by name. We don't read that He calls dogs, hey, come fluffy. Look, we don't read He calls any dog by name or any animal or cat by name, but you, He does. We don't read that His thoughts outnumber. We don't read that God gives two thoughts to another animal. He does or not, we just don't read, but He gives His thoughts for you couldn't be counted. He's collected your tears in a bottle. How close do you have to be to put a tear in a bottle? He knows every breath you take. When you take your last breath, it will not be one less or more than God knows. He actually knitted you together in your mother's womb. And He had a plan marked out for you. And He knows your thoughts from afar. And what that means is not God watching kind of with one eye. What that means is when you think, if I do this, this will happen. God sees from the distance the total ramification of that choice. So we think, but this is so good because it's going to pay off. God goes, yeah, but you don't see steps 2, 3, 4, and 20. And we go, God, it seems so good. And God goes, you don't see where this will go. So I'm going to put a stop to it because I love you. And if I don't embrace that last thing, those other things, you know what that happens? When I embrace the truth that I am that loved, that I am the apple of His eye, that I am actually His obsession and His masterpiece and the object of His love, so much so that He'll let His whole family be tortured to death just to get me, that He would give up everything else to have me because I am the treasure for which He was willing to pursue everything. And so are you. You were the joy set before Him that caused Him to endure the cross. Nothing else but you. And if I embrace that right, I become bulletproof. If I really embrace that and someone says, you know what, you're stupid. I'm like, you know what's funny? We're both going to agree in the end and I'm going to be right. And when someone flips out and says, I don't want anything to do with you because you're just whatever and you really believe in that Jesus thing and all that. Some of those people really do come around. <coughs> Especially when they see you, you took the bullets. And you went, you know what? I'm going to stay there. You are not moving me from my commander. You are not taking me out of my post. And the reason you're not going to is because my commander is so much more than just the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. He loves me and he wants me and I belong to him. And because I am so loved, I'm not moving unless he moves, unless he moves me. Beloved, let me ask you, what about you? Because in between all of this, he'll say, look it, if it's been secret, it's going to be shouted from the rooftops. If it's been something in the dark, it's going to be brought to light. And we'll talk about that next week. But listen, please hear me and all that. The idea of it is, this thing's got to be obvious. And so if that's the standard and protocol Jesus lays, that's exactly, well then how do you love me obviously? How about hanging naked in front of the whole world to see? Could it be more obvious and open than that? So that all of the universe, angels included, could see that my God so loved me that He was willing to take my sin and your sin upon Himself and hang on that tree to say, I love you so much I would rather die than live without you. 
And with that in mind, then it's like, I'll take all of that. Now show me that somewhere else. How do you work for a God that paid your bill? All you do is say, yes, I'll surrender to that. I'll take that. If what this is for is for my love, then have my love. Because that's what you really want. And maybe you've been caught up in the politic and what you've been trying to do is say, look, I'm going to work and hopefully it's enough. Let me say, Jesus has already paid the bill. What he's asking is for a yes from you. And in a yes from you, he wants to wash you clean and cover you in the love and really reveal to your heart that this is really true. Because you're going to get shot at. And if your focus is on you and you're the ouch just in case, then you're going to bet that you're going to spend all your time and you're never going to step out there unless your eyes are, unless your heart is consumed with the truth that you were that loved. And because you are that loved, no betrayal or resistance that you find like this could possibly make the impact it could otherwise. Because love covers the whole thing. And he is a shield about me. He guards my fore and my rear. He is my refuge and my rock. So shoot all you want. I belong to him. And I'm not changing that. The question is, have you said yes, not to Christianity, not to the politic. Have you said yes to the Jesus of, Jesus, of Christianity, the Christ of Christianity? Because that's what I want to invite you to now. Where we say, you know what, Jesus, make this about what you intend. When they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? What do I really need to do? He's like, I'll tell you, it's not what I want you to do. It's what I want you to give. What I really want is your love. If you had your love, the rest of it is going to fall properly in suit. But if I don't have your love, all that other stuff will mean nothing to me. Because I didn't die for you to serve me. I didn't die for you to worship me. I didn't create you for those things. I created you to be with me. But your sin has separated you from me, so I paid for your sin, so we wouldn't have to have that between us anymore. Will you say yes to my love? And as I dump my love on you, as it overwhelms and overflows out of you, take your love and throw it back at me, please. That is the message of the cross. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you for how you do truly love us, forming our inward parts, knowing our wanderings and numbering, collecting our tears in a bottle, hedging us before and behind, that your breath gives us life and that you call us by name, that we are the apple of your eye, your masterpiece, your obsession, your precious jewel, your joy, and that your plans for me are to give me a future and a hope and how you hung for me openly so that I could clearly see that your love is without hypocrisy and absolutely true. And with that, I recognize today what you're calling me to is an open confession of you to say yes to you. And in saying yes to you, God, that we would today have a real religion, a devotion to the one who is devoted to us. We recognize what you call us to is to respond, not to initiate. You've done the work and you call us now to, to respond to your love 
like a groom would as he kneels down and opens up the, the, the ring container and says, will you be mine? Our response is to respond. Our responsibility is to respond. And so we want to say today, yes. And here in this room right now, if you're not sure if you've really said yes to Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about Christianity or you joined a church or any other, but if you've said yes to Jesus, today if you're not sure or you're sure you haven't, I'm gonna, I want to just lead you in a prayer. Nothing fancy, just an honest prayer that says, yes, please, yes. And if you agree with this prayer at the end, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, yes, I agree. Let that be mine. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, I know I've done wrong. I know I've thought wrong. I've been wrong. I know that. And I know that my guilt separates me from between me and you because you're perfect and holy. And yet, you so love me. You're so obsessed with me. You so want me that you chose to come to earth yourself and pay the price for my guilt on the cross so that all of that could be properly punished just upon you instead of me. And as you took that punishment for me and paid my bill, you did it because you love me. You ask me to confess you as Savior, to receive that gift. But as Scripture had promised on the third day as you rose again, you require for me to accept you not just as Savior, but as Lord. To say, we will let this one rule over us. So today in this room, right now, I pray, yes. Yes, Jesus, for your payment as Savior. But yes, Jesus, as risen Lord, because as you wash me clean of all those sins and you make me a brand new person, a brand new creation with a brand new life, I need a brand new Lord for that brand new life and you're the one. So I confess you as Lord of my new life. Make me everything you intend, but first and foremost, cover me so much in your love that when these things do happen, that I can be bulletproof the way you intend for me to be. As I hand my life to you now, please, please have me. And I trust you will because you've already proven that love. And I say, I'm yours. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree with that prayer today, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, you've heard our prayers. I know you take us seriously. So, we hand it to you now and say, here we are. We're yours. Bless this precious fellowship, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.